You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 228. On today's show, we play an episode of the Archaeotech podcast that Chris and I took over. We talk about artificial intelligence and how it's being used to translate ancient text and find new sites. Let's dig a little deeper and then go listen to other great shows on the Archaeology Podcast Network <laughs> and the Archaeotech podcast. <laughs> All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Not Paul. <laughs> Is that my new name? Not Paul. <laughs> so if any of you guys happen to listen to the archaeology show, you recognize Rachel, but I think you've been on an archaeotech before too. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. I've talked about Wild Note before and right. we did a couple other episodes together. So yeah. I'm Paul's stand-in. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Paul is not on the show today because I'm pretty convinced that he's a secret agent <laughs> and he's just called to the Middle East occasionally and can't talk about oh, why. Oh man, did you just like out his CIA status to the entire world right here? I think I did. Wow. Yep. So anyway, you know, I mean, he 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 probably speaks some Middle Eastern languages. He kind of fits in over there. Yeah, it just yeah. kind of all makes sense. It does. It yeah. does. I believe it. Archaeologists would make the best secret agents because we travel a lot. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. We have lots of stamps in our passports. Uh-huh. And uh, we often speak other languages. Yep. And we blend in with cultures. Yeah. 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 You in should case, definitely uh, make that a life goal right there. In case there. anyone from the CIA is listening, I also have no tattoos or distinguishing <laughs> marks. So... There you go. You're a little old, though. Yeah. 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 Well, hopefully, I'm making these statements because, like, Google, I know, is, they for a long time, they were, like, auto-transcribing podcasts that came through the Google service. What? Really? Yeah. So I didn't you know that. For it, I don't know if they're still doing it, but huh. that was when they were more into podcasts and they kind of started dialing that back. Okay. But the fact that that transcription is on the internet and searchable by Google, that's why they did it, means you can find stuff. So hmm. if the CI's quantum computer, <laughs> which I'm sure they have, uh -huh. is searching for different words and things like that that are interesting to them, then uh, I might get a phone call. So either good or bad. Yeah, or I was going to say like a door. good phone call or a bad <laughs> phone call. Like, what are you talking about that's going to capture the CIA's right. attention? So that's one of the <laughs> disturbing and frightening things that AI can do. Yes. But other things AI can do are identify sites and translate languages. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so we ha we found one article. Actually, Rachel found an article about AI identifying Nazca lines, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. Yeah. And then I happened to find a second one. I was like, there's got to be a there third one. There must be, yeah. Yeah, so I, I started looking. Well, and AI out, is in the news like a lot yeah. lately, it feels like. So it just makes sense that it would be used in an archaeological setting as well. And yeah. this episode of Archaeotech might be a little bit different because I don't know that we've ever done like a new story episode on this show we like have. like we do for, we for have, TAS. Yeah. Okay. So, so, but that's what we're going to do is we're going to yeah. just talk about AI in the news in three different instances. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I do have some interviews coming up. They're in the process of getting planned right now. Paul is going to join us if we can, but there's some stuff from the most recent edition of Advances in Archaeological Practice as you're listening to this. I think one just came out a few weeks ago, the mm -hmm. June edition or whatever they're calling it. Maybe it's July by the way publishing works. So look for that coming up here soon. But in the meantime, Rachel's filling in. And like she said, we're going to talk about this. So we have the original article for this one, and it's from the Journal of Archaeological Science called Accelerating the Discovery of New Nazca Geoglyphs Using Deep Learning. We also have a link from Live Science. And sometimes this one seems to be okay, but sometimes you have to like log into Live Science. This, this one's not making you, but there yeah, is another one. Not, that we have. There, yeah. there are some... 
that they've kind of opened. Some publications let you read and some right. you have a subscription. I don't know anymore. I know. But well, yeah. The thing I like about having both is because the actual journal articles are sometimes hard to read because mm-hmm. there's so many citations they have to put in. And yeah. And a little jargony like, sometimes. I know. I wish there was a remove citations filter. <laughs> yeah. It would just be really easy to read. Yeah. But if you do want to read the journal article because it is open access, then... Do what I've always been told as just kind of like a rough overview of it. If you really need to dig into it and you're trying to replicate the results, that's one thing. But if you just want to know what it means, first read the abstract, and that's probably all you need to do. Mm -hmm. Scan through and look at the pictures and read the captions. It sounds, you know stupid to say that but it's it's true just do that yeah and then go down and read the conclusions yeah right because that's where you really get the meat of the article and if you want to know more if you want to dig into it then go ahead yeah and that's what reading an article like this live science article does that's exactly what they do yeah they essentially just do that they don't really dig into it and you get the you get the the meat of it yeah without the the fluff you get like the cliff notes version but that's really all you need like it's not like you're trying to go out and repeat the study you just want to know what they did and what they found and that's all you really need so let's talk about nazca lines yeah first off these researchers in this article they found three new nazca line figures in peru that were created up to 2400 years ago and that's just the date of the nazca lines within peru not just these but Mm -hmm. like like all of them yeah Um, there's a bigger range we'll talk about that in a minute what they found though it's just astonishing to me that nobody actually noticed these before, or maybe they did and thought, ah, you know, somebody must have noticed those mm-hmm. and then didn't report it. You know yeah. what I mean? But people who are doing actual research on these things, when they say nobody's noticed these before, that's actually who they're talking about. Like I said, I have no doubt that some, you know, local, some armchair warrior on Google Earth has found <laughs> these Nazca lines, right? These additional or ones. The local people that live in the area probably are no. like, oh, yeah, there's probably something out there. We've never seen it from the sky, but like there's definitely something Maybe. there. Maybe, but it's yeah. tough to see some of these older ones because they're just, or the ones that are more ephemeral. Mm-hmm. And that's what where the AI comes yeah. in. Um, Erosion is really like yeah. wreaking havoc on them. That's for sure. But one of the things that, three things they found that were notable are a pair of legs more than 250 <laughs> feet across. I'm like, just the legs? Like, there's Apparently nothing else? Just the legs. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, like, maybe it's like that, uh, what was it, some image I saw a long time ago where you've got the earth and it's like the Rapa Nui, you know, heads yeah. from Easter Island. Yeah. And then all the way through the earth is Stonehenge. It's yes. Like the feet it's of those the legs. Heads. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, so you've got those feet 77 meters across and then a fish measuring 62 feet across or 19 meters mm-hmm. and a bird measuring 56 feet or 17 meters wide. Yeah. Super cool. Those second two are, are definitely a little smaller, so I could see how those would mm-hmm. be missed. But man, the first one, giant pair of legs. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy, so but really cool that they found them. Yeah. So they found a humanoid figure by the same means back in 2019. So this is just kind of more of that research and probably better because, I mean, four years is a long time in the field of AI mm-hmm. So and, and how these models are made. Yeah. The Nazca lines are actually made most of the time by... Essentially just moving the the black stones that are out there, the stones that have this like desert varnish on them, this mm-hmm. patina, and they reveal the white sand underneath. So, so it's literally just moving them out of the way to reveal like the, yeah. the underneath layer. I've heard too that they can be flipped over because the stones oh. are like a different color underneath. Uh-huh. So maybe some of it's that. But yeah. this is more plausible that they're actually moved out of the way and you make kind of a pathway because one of the possible purposes of these is obviously ritual and ceremony mm-hmm. and some researchers think that the creators of these and then ancestors would have run ceremonial processions tracing the figures oh like actually walking yeah, along like it, walking the path using it like a path yeah okay yeah, yeah. so that's possible for sure yeah. right there are a total 
as we know, uh, of more than 350 geoglyphs in total. Mm -hmm. A geoglyph is just something that's a shape made out of rocks. By humans. Basically, by humans. That's too big to like carry with you. Right. Right. Otherwise, it's an artifact. Yeah. They were first spotted by pilots in the 1920s. I can't imagine just flying over there for the first time and going, what the actual hell? And some of them are so cool looking and really like super elaborate for a giant picture on the ground, you know, like you can see fully formed birds and other animals Mm -hmm. and shapes. So that's, it's really cool. Yeah. Among the figures that have been found, hummingbirds, monkeys, whales, whales, yeah, spiders, flowers, geometric designs, and tools. Yep. So, and they're not just found in in the Nazca Desert where these are. They're found in other places in Peru too, but they're mostly found in the Nazca Mm -hmm. Desert, probably because of the environment and and how you can set those up. Yeah. And that's on the southern half of Peru. So I worked on the northern coast of Peru when I went Mm -hmm. there back in my undergrad days, but this is all on the southern side. So I unfortunately didn't get a chance to go see them, but man, they were on my list. Maybe maybe one day if we make it back to Peru. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mentioned the 2400 year old date. They think that they range in date from about 400 BCE to 650 AD Mm -hmm. for their creation. Obviously Mm -hmm. they could have been used all the way up until, you know, 100 years ago or now. Um, I don't think they're really being used now by locals, but you know, they could be. The professor and archaeologist from the Yamagata University in Japan, Masoto, Mas, sorry, Mas, sorry, Mr. Uh, or Dr. Sakai, but Masato <laughs> Sakai, uh-huh. um, again, Yamagata University in Japan. He's been searching for Nazca geoglyphs since 2004. He's been basically obsessed with it. Yeah. And as you go forward in time, he's just been using, you know, newer and newer technologies. So right. he's used satellite imagery, of course, which we've had for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, aerial photography, which is a lot higher resolution usually than satellite imagery. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Unless you have like military satellite imagery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but even satellite imagery is getting a lot better these days. Mm-hmm. Um, airborne scanning LIDAR and uh, drone photography. Yeah. And if you're a longtime listener to the Architect podcast, that's the first time you have to take a drink because <laughs> we said drone. We did say drone. So have a sip of coffee over there. Yeah, I'm drinking <laughs> coffee. So we're recording early. Yeah. They identified the new glyphs after about five years of study, right? So it took a long time to, to really dial these models like in. That's like so much time and effort to yeah. only find a handful, though. Yeah. I wonder if this is going to get better and better and they'll be able to find more or if there just aren't more to find, mm-hmm. you know, like what that's that's a question that is always interesting to me with this kind of thing. Well, we'll talk about that in a second because the model you're using, they're training it pretty heavily. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, in 2016, this this is probably what helped them find the, the one in 2019, the humanoid figure, mm-hmm. but they obtained some high resolution images of the area and that's when they started using AI and what's called deep learning to mm-hmm. train a computer to find more glyphs. Right. They actually partnered with IBM of Japan and... In the U.S., IBM's Thomas J. Watson Research Center to conduct the uh, research. You might recognize Watson as the computer they did that. Oh, the that, one that, that's for the Jeopardy. One that beat, yeah, that's yeah. the one that beat Ken Jennings and, yeah. and uh, Holtzauer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, deep learning is essentially training a computer system on thousands or even millions of known objects. Mm-hmm. So when you when you throw it just so many instances of a thing and you say, this is this, this is this, this is this, and it just starts to really, it's pattern recognition yeah. is what mm-hmm. it is. And the more patterns you give it, the more it understands and learns and then can start finding its own patterns and then can start finding variations of those patterns. So I imagine since we have 350 glyphs 
geoglyphs that we know about, they were able to use some of those to basically train it on what to look for. Yeah. And and that's what they did. So yeah. they didn't actually have thousands of elements, right. right? But they did break these up into like head, torso, arm, legs. Mm-hmm. So they have these pieces, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and they only used about 21 known Nazca geoglyphs, but broken up into these elements to actually train this to, computer initially. Okay. Yeah. And this is just a preliminary kind of thing. I'm sure mm-hmm. they're by now even they've they've started to uh oh, yeah. you know, give it a lot, that's how a lot AI, more info. That's how AI is, right? Like the training just gets more and more and so therefore the identification gets better and better and better with more time and more training. Yeah. Yeah, they've said that the uh, AI can identify f- possible figures, and they, they usually train these things on known figures. Mm-hmm. They'll punch in a punch in an area, and if it doesn't if it doesn't identify the ones we know about, mm-hmm. you're like, no, you have a problem. Yeah, but that's how they verify what they've done. Yeah, that is right. They say they punch in known stuff, and they say, okay. Yeah. Did you find everything? Yeah. And the AI identified possible figures about 21 times faster than trained archaeologists. That's it doesn't awesome. say more accurately. Like the mm. archaeologists will still get it, but the computer just did it faster. Which yeah, makes sense. and did it find all of them, or was it missing well, anything? Would be my yeah. question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, it's important to find as many of these as we can because that area is suffering a lot from erosion and climate change, and yeah. the climate change is bringing in more water, and it's bringing in heavier winds and mm-hmm. lots of stuff that is just damaging for this type of environment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, it's important to identify these so we can learn as much from them as we can. Yeah, these kind of geoglyphs that I just don't think that. They're the kind of thing that can last for the ages, you know. Yeah. It's not. It's not a pyramid that's going to be there as long yeah. as we we conserve it, you know. It's been there over two thousand years. It has. It has. Good. That it's a long time, but I yeah. just with erosion and everything, like it just I could see them it's, starting to disappear. Yeah, in the last hundred years or so, it's the human induced climate change that's really yeah. accelerated the process. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Now I wonder too if this AI will be very helpful in scenarios where. It's hard for the human eye to see the mm, geoglyph, maybe. Right. Like some of them can be very faint lines. So as this erosion is happening and the lines are fading and getting harder to see, I wonder if this AI can help still make that connection and still identify them, even though it's hard to see with the human eye. That would be right. that would be a really great use of this technology. Well, and I think that's really kind of what it's trying to do, mm-hmm. right? Uh, once we can pump in like the lidar data and yeah. other data, that it can just it, like cross-reference them, yeah. yeah, to see all the different yeah. things. That it's hard for a human to put like this satellite image and this aerial right. image and this lidar data and like put it all together. But I guess a computer can probably just combine all that and mm-hmm. get a better come to a better conclusion yeah. and a quicker conclusion than than we can. Yeah, I mean, humans are pretty good pattern recognition mm-hmm. machines, but computers are just way better at it yeah. on a mass, more massive scale. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, that's enough for that one. Let's uh, head over to the other side of the world and see how AI is being used to translate ancient Sumerian and Akkadian straight into English off of cuneiform tablets, which is just baffling. Very cool. Back in a minute. Everybody, Chris Webster here to talk about one of the latest supporters to the Archaeology Podcast Network, The Motley Fool. Now, I've been investing in the stock market through various applications for a few years now, and everybody who's listening to this can benefit from that sort of investment for the long-term financial planning. And also, I know the hosts of these podcasts can benefit because as archaeologists, like none of us get retirement, (laughs) we all have to kind of fend for ourselves. So investing in the stock market is a good idea, but not everybody can do it. And look, we get it. The market is complicated and confusing, and to many of us, it simply doesn't make sense. In fact, where do you even start? 
take all of the guesswork out of it with the Motley Fool Stock Advisor. The Motley Fool has been around for over 25 years and has been spot on in recommending some of the world's most important companies before they hit the big time. I'm talking about Amazon, Tesla, Netflix, Starbucks, all before they exploded in value. With their easy to use and super informative service, Stock Advisor, you could join the ranks before they potentially find the next big thing. After all, their average stock recommendation is up over 400% as of April 10th, 2023. And no need to be intimidated by financial jargon or market complexities. As the name suggests, these guys don't take themselves too seriously. Now, finances, that's a different story. Their friendly and relaxed approach has helped over 700,000 people move closer to financial independence, all while beating the market and having fun. New members can access Stock Advisor for only $89 for their first year, a full $110 off the full list price. Don't sit on the sidelines and think about what could have happened. Visit fool.com slash APN to start your investing journey today. That's $110 discount off of $199 per year list price. Membership will renew annually at the then current list price. So again, check the link in the show notes of this episode. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Welcome back to episode 204 of the Archaeotech podcast, and we're talking about artificial intelligence. And this time around, we're going to go to an article from PNAS. It's actually PNAS Nexus. There's a lot of different versions of this, but it's called Translating Akkadian to English with Neural Machine Translation. And actually, one of the articles we read talked about Akkadian and Sumerian, actually. Mm -hmm. And it even says that in their abstract, so I'm not really sure why they don't mention Sumerian in the title of the article, but you know, mm. there it is. There's another article from Archaeology Magazine called Researchers Use AI to Read Ancient uh, Mesopotamian Texts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So check that one out too, because there's a pretty cool image of a, a cuneiform tablet on there. So cuneiform is that, uh, if you're trying to picture what that means and you don't have the ability to click on the links right now, it's that read created text in soft clay tablets. Yeah, where yeah. they're like almost like puncturing the kind of but they they take the end of a reed which is kind of a i don't know kind of looks like a, a squinty eye yeah and yeah. then they they punch it in and sometimes they'll they'll like twist it or drag it or mm -hmm. do a little thing and that's how they made letters yeah letters and probably more like syllables it really is worth looking at the image in the archaeology article because they show the cuneiform and then the translation into I'm not sure what language that is, but then translation <laughs> into English below it. It's yeah. really cool to see that. Yeah, it's scrape, scrape, punk, punk, scrape, scrape, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. And that translates to dis, I'm going to read this. Okay. Um, dis tuxu, dag, dag, uh, umesu, gid, dames, which means <laughs> if he cleans his garments, his days will be long. Oh, 
wow. Talking yeah. about personal hygiene. I love it. Apparently. Yeah. That's, <laughs> That's awesome. amazing. So anyway, researchers from Tel Aviv University and Ariel University, uh, which studies mermaids, use <laughs> AI to translate. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. That is completely wrong. Ignore that. Used Go on. <laughs> AI to translate ancient cuneiform texts from Mesopotamian languages, basically, into English. Mm-hmm. And it's not like into ancient Greek or something and then English. It's into straight up English. Yeah. Which is a little bit crazy. Yeah, that is that's yeah. insane. The use of the AI is not actually intended to replace humans, but just like we talked about last time, speed, speed up the process, up. which mm-hmm. kind of replaces humans. But uh, no, it frees uh, up human time to do the things that computers can't do, like make coffees at Starbucks. <laughs> no, <laughs> like doing more advanced research into like, whatever it is that they're studying. Like, say, do you want fries with that? No, yeah. also wrong. What you do with your <laughs> social sciences degree? All oh right. Oh my God, you're terrible. Yeah. So anyway, they're trying to. Speed up the process because there are, I mean, hundreds of thousands of bits of fragmentary text. And that's the one thing humans had a hard time doing is, you know, there's no context for a lot of this stuff. So you're just trying to piece together these things and it's really difficult. And the computer is able to do that a little better because it understands when you feed it enough sources. Again, it's all about feeding the the algorithm and teaching it. Yeah. Yeah. And saying, hey, this is often found in association with this and Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And it can mostly get it right. Yeah. Yeah. There's only like when you see a line coming off at a certain angle, there's probably only so many yeah. figures or shapes that that could be. And then the computer can kind of narrow it, it down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the computer can narrow yeah. it down way faster and easier than our little baby human brains can. <laughs> yeah. Cuneiform is one of the earliest writing systems in the world. And we're not talking about like rock art and stuff like that, which no. some people could say is a form of communication, but it's not necessarily seen as a writing system. Right. But cuneiform is one of the earliest like legit writing systems in the world. And it dates to about, or it was used from about 3400 BCE to 75 CE. That's, that's over 5,000 years ago. That's a long run. Yeah. 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 That's insane. Yeah. There have been hundreds of thousands, like I mentioned, of cuneiform texts found over the last 200 years. Mm-hmm. And most of those are in Sumerian and Akkadian, mm-hmm. both in Mesopotamia. Yeah. The AI used, the artificial intelligence, was basically a what they call a natural language processing method. And there's a number of those that can be used. But one of the more common ones that we talk about on this show that we hear about all the time is called a convolutional neural network. Okay. So essentially, you're taking bits and pieces of information. And when they say, anytime they say neural network, you think of a human brain yeah. and your neurons have up to you know 10,000 plus connections for each, your, each neuron yeah. to the things around it. That's what a neural network is. It's okay. basically making these associations and saying, well, this is associated with this and this and this. And, oh, okay. It's and picking up all the potential connections. connections. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then recognizing when those connections go together mm-hmm. in most circumstances, yeah. you know, known circumstances, and then using that to make inferences and translations. Okay. It's cool. pretty cool. Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah. So then it's able to translate the glyphs directly into English. Mm-hmm. So it's like bypassing anything in between, which is probably how it has been done in the past and just going straight from Akkadian or Sumerian into English. Yeah. That is so, so cool. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. It, it doesn't actually do super well with apparently like longer sentences either for whatever reason. Mm. It does. The best results come with short uh, and medium length sentences of approximately 118 characters or less. Mm, so okay. I'm not really sure why that is, if that's some quirk of the language or something like that. But I can tell you right now that it's just going to get better. Yeah, you know, for the sure. More they, the more they teach it the more that they say, yep, that one was right, this one was wrong, 
the more it learns. I wonder if they were to break the longer sentences up into shorter pieces, if it would do okay with just just that. Just like give it fragments. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I wonder too, if they've created this by, they've probably taught it by feeding it things where we already know the translation, right? So it's learned from that. And then it's Mm -hmm. using that knowledge to apply to things that haven't been translated before. Maybe. Yeah. But like anything with AI, you know, it's it's a first pass, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the computer is always going to be a first pass. And then you need human eyeballs on it to kind of confirm what it's saying. Right. But that would be hard in this case because you just end up having to look at every single piece over again. Well, so, at some point, you your confidence level gets higher and you don't have yeah, to look at every single piece. Yeah, yeah, in the early stages, yeah, it's a real pain in the ass. Yeah. But the more you do it, the better. Yeah. This reminds me, you know, I, I was thinking about this like, you know, as these... These artificial intelligence programs, you know, get put online mm-hmm. and maybe they're they're told to search for other stuff. I just saw briefly read just like the first part of an article that said AI is not going to get any better if we keep using AI to teach AI. Basically, oh. having these neural networks and things learn from other things that are put together like that. It's oh. it's not it's not good enough yet. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it's an interesting concept, too, because people might be saying, well, I've got this whole database over here that was actually put together by, you know, some sort of, you know, neural network learning system. Uh-huh. Let's just feed it into this one. Yeah. You know? But that's, then. Gosh, that's such a good point. Yeah. yeah you, the only way to really do it with super high confidence is to feed it absolutely 100 percent known things. Yes. And tell it you got that right. You got that wrong. Yeah. And here's why. Yeah. That's that's super yeah. interesting. So. Yeah, I wonder when you win with a technology like this one specifically, when you get to the point where you can just like fully trust whatever it's telling you, mm-hmm. or if you're always going to have to double check. Like, I wonder, I wonder what the future of it looks like. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's crazy. This feels a little different to me than the last article because in the last article you could kind of almost use the AI as like a a filtering, right? Mm-hmm. Like it could just scan an area that hadn't been looked at before for Nazca lines, and then pick out the ones that it thought might be it. And then the human goes in and verifies. Yeah. This is different because you can't go in and verify every single thing it translates. Right. So you have to get to a point where you have a certain level of confidence in it. And I wonder how long it takes before it gets to that point or if it ever does. I mean, I wouldn't say if it ever does. It will. It will. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to go now uh, on the other side of the break we're going to stay in Mesopotamia because, man, we're using satellite imagery and mm-hmm. soon enough, these satellites are just going to be able to say, yep, there's a site. And oh, yeah, I saw a clay tablet and here's what it means. <laughs> and yeah, I just went ahead and translated yeah. it for you. Yeah, here you go. Here's a, here's a nice you little You know package. what? Don't even bother going out there. We got this. We're yeah, done. We're we, don't, we don't need you little yeah. human people. I'll take a fan and another <laughs> coffee. Thank you very much. Back in a minute. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Welcome back to the Architect Podcast, the all-news edition. The and, AI uh, podcast, I think. The AI podcast, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can tell by our halting speech and really poorly enunciated things that ChatGPT actually did not write this. No, it did yeah. not. <laughs> so I think that's going to be the thing in the future. It's like, wow, they're really terrible. It's authentic. Oh, God. <laughs> Until ChatGPT can be taught to like, you know, write like a valley girl or something like that, you know, I mean, and it probably can. But, but the thing is, is that scientists write so, I don't know, like they're that lot, that science language. Yeah. I feel like a computer could replicate that pretty easily because it's very uh, dry. You know, it's very technical. I think chat GPT could probably do that. I might try to find some news articles for another episode and have <gasps> chat GPT summarize them for oh me. Oh my God. You should totally yeah. do that. And then I can use like a, there's a, I use audition, Adobe audition to yeah. record and edit. And there's this thing in there where you can type in text and have it read it out, the, yeah. read out the text in a computer voice. Yeah. Uh, we might have an all chat GPT episode. I think up. that's a brilliant <laughs> idea. Have you and Paul talked much about chat GPT? On uh, here? Only a little bit, but oh. not, not specifically. It is time to I have know. that conversation on Archaeotech. Come know. on. It could change the way, yeah. you know, future articles are written. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Or Maybe. it'll just sound fake. Who knows? We'll see. Anyway, that's a little tangent right there. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> this one, again, we're staying in Mesopotamia here. Yeah. And this time they're using satellite images, again, satellites, mm -hmm. to train basically an AI algorithm to find sites in yep. Iraq. Yeah. Yeah. So this is archaeologists from the University of Bologna. And they have developed a system of AI algorithms that can identify previously undiscovered archaeological sites in the southern Mesopotamian plain. Now, that is the subtitle of the article. It's a little bit misleading, I think, actually, because they haven't used this yet to actually find undiscovered sites. They're just using it as a test and they're training and the results are pretty good. So they're hoping it can be used that way in the future. Right. And I don't, I don't think they've ground truth it, but the model did predict some places where they didn't have sites where it thinks there are sites. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, they do need to go and actually look at it and yeah. see if that is true or not. Yeah. And unlike the first article with the Nazca lines where you could look at an aerial image and be like, oh, yep, that is totally a Nazca line mm -hmm. that we've never found before. You can't do that with a site like this. I mean, maybe you can kind of see the tells, they call them, which are like the, the hill shaped mounds. Yeah. You might be able to see that on the aerial image, but more likely than not, you're not going to really be able to tell and you have to just go out there in person and actually verify whether or not it's a site. You won't be able to tell? The you tell. won't be able to tell the tell. Wow. <laughs> so they were testing this algorithm in the Mazen province of Iraq. Oh, Paul's listening to this going, that is not that, how you pronounce I, that. No, it's not how you pronounce it. I'm so sorry, I'm Paul. Probably Maison. <laughs> Maison? Okay. Yeah. M-A-Y-S-A-N. Yeah. And the data set was a bunch of already identified sites, like we said, and the archaeologists knew exactly where to look, what they look like. They're able to feed all that data into the algorithm because they, they have all of it already. Yeah, through the feeding of these sites and where they are and the characteristics of these sites and things like that, they were able to essentially fine-tune the program and have it identify those known sites with up to 80% accuracy, which is really good right 80% is good, yeah. yeah. I mean, when we do like a, a pedestrian survey... Mm -hmm. Like 80% is way more than we're able to get or cover in that kind of a survey, right? Yeah. If we were able to, to train an AI on the terrain and culture uh -huh. and things that have been found in the past, you know, because when we do pedestrian survey, like you said, we're usually 25 to 30 meter spacing, sometimes yeah. a little closer, but usually not. Mm -hmm. And 
we're, we're doing a known sample of about 5% or less. Yeah. Because you can't see the entire distance between you and the next person. No. So you know that you're only sampling the area, but if and if a computer system could get 80% accuracy and you could just go ground truth those, mm-hmm. I mean, you'd find a lot more stuff. You really would. And yeah. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, like our normal survey methods just yeah. simply can't even get to 80%. So this mm-hmm. is already leaps and bounds better than that. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So the way they, they taught it was the researchers used a data set of vector shapes that represented the shape of the sites that they knew about, these known sites yeah. that had been recorded in the southern Mesopotamian floodplain. And they had thousands of satellite images from various different archives. And those images, it would have taken a person hours, just hours upon Months. hours. Yeah. To, to look through them all. It just really wouldn't be possible for mm-hmm. a person to take the amount of time or people to take the amount of time it would to, to look through all that. Yeah. And also the other thing they had is that there's images, multiple images of the same location. They were of varying quality and sometimes they were satellite, sometimes they were aerial. And there's just all kinds of variability in the types of images that you're looking at, which any person who sits down to look at these images is just going to take them a second to figure out what they're seeing. Is it the same location? Where is this overlap happening? But they're able to kind of train this AI to sort of look at all of that together and immediately know and understand what Mm -hmm. they're looking at, which is just another way that AI is going to be faster and better at this sort of work. Yeah, for sure. So this 80% is great. And, but like we had said in earlier segments, they're basically proposing a human AI collaboration, right? Where the computer can do the initial pass through. It can tag anything that's a possible site or they can decide how sure the AI needs to be. It is a site, like what that percentage is. And then anything you know, above that percentage is what they look mm-hmm. look at to ground truth it, essentially. You know, in the future, they're not going to have to do that either. They'll just send out their robot dogs. <laughs> and, uh, or the, the dogs drones. Will, send the drones. Uh, well, they'll send the drones first. Okay. The drones will drop the drink. dogs off. I don't drink. <laughs> uh, the drones will drop the dogs off and the okay. dogs will dig because that's uh-huh. what dogs do. Right. But they've got sensors on them. They'll be like, you know, you could even watch through their eyes probably, but they'll know what they're looking for because they've got the AI on board. Right. <laughs> so, and I really do think that, I mean, we're not, we, we could probably do this today, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. We could probably do this today. Fully automated, you know, survey, excavation and detection. All the, every phase of the project It's just, nobody's putting the money into that. They're putting yeah. it into military applications and other stuff. So when all that trickles down to common society, I mean, the stuff we could get done and the, and the way we could do it in a slightly more affordable way, because it's expensive to send people. It is. And it's dangerous to send people to do things. I mean, yeah. we think we want to do that just from a... You know, humans have to look at this because, you know, they're just better at it. Humans are not going to be better at it for much longer. Yeah, I do wonder, though, like when it comes to making the connections between things and Mm -hmm. drawing the conclusions, is the computer going to be able to do that piece of it? I think it will, because you look at human history and entire theory textbooks for anthropology are written on the fact that humans are pattern recognition and making machines. We do the same thing across the world time after time Mm -hmm. again and again and again. And sure, there are some cultures that just go outside the box and they, they, for some reason, evolved culturally a way to do something drastically different. But, you know, agriculture, the bow and arrow, you know, swords and, you know, other weaponry and and different eating techniques and clothing and all that stuff's been invented multiple times across the planet. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is, well, it's predictable. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. It's not predictable that humans were going to, you know, develop a brain that's going to figure these things out the same way, but those things can only be done in so many ways. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you got somebody that can figure it out, then they're going to do that. And I think, I think based on those predictable elements of human nature that, you know, with enough information and eventually these computer systems are going to have all the information. And once we, you know, develop this in conjunction with quantum computing, which does exist now, but when it gets better and more affordable and, and they're, and they're everywhere, you know, a quantum computer can do, you know, a hundreds of thousands, if not millions of times more computations per given unit of time that a regular computer can mm -hmm. than a binary computer can. Right, right. And it's just orders of magnitude faster and yeah. it can process more data. And once we can do that, it's going to be able to do stuff that we can't even ask the questions about now. Yeah. We don't even know what it can do. I think the only thing that trips me up about that idea is that, yes, you're right. It's patterns. A computer will be able to identify and recognize patterns better than humans can at a certain point when it learns enough. But what about the things that don't fit the patterns? That's the stuff that you still are going to need people to go in and look at. If if you have a society that is, I don't know, maybe doing something totally different that has never been seen before. I can't even think of something off the top of my head, but it does happen, right? right? And those kind of things, like the computer is just going to look at that and try to assign a pattern or a thing to it that it already knows. And it, it won't be right in that case. Sure. But if it can't do that, then it should be smart enough to say, hey, I got something different here. Yeah, you know, it's that, so, and that's going to be the thing is it yeah. has to be smart enough to to know when it has something different so yeah. that it, it brings in the the humans to do that last bit of analysis or whatever. I think it'll be able to do all those things. I can't see a, I can't see a world where it just won't be able to completely eliminate the human element and then yeah. go use chat GPT nine <laughs> to write the report to write the report. Totally. Yeah. I so. wonder if like excavation will be a thing of the past at a certain point, like with the various ways we have to basically see under the ground mm -hmm. that are constantly getting better and developed more. I wonder if using all of those things, you won't even have to. Just with the march of technological progress, the answer to that question is always yes. It will yeah. get better. Yeah. You know, I, I constantly think of, you know, I know I bring this up a lot, but Star Trek. There was an episode mm -hmm. And probably lots of them mm -hmm. where like from the Enterprise, they were able to look under the ground and say, oh, there's catacombs and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, under there. yeah, yeah. You know, that's a little a little bit out there. It's a but, little simplistic, too. Well, sure. Yeah. But they were able to see, you know, from a remote distance in space, basically mm -hmm. consider it like a satellite underground and, and determine these things. Now, whether or not we'll actually be able to do that in the future, I don't know. But doing that from a ground based station. I just think it's inevitable mm -hmm. that we'll be able to do that kind of thing. I don't yeah. know what the mechanism is. I don't know how it would look, but yeah. I don't think we can say with any confidence anymore that some sort of technological thing you can think of won't be possible. I right. mean, even 90 years ago, they were saying we're going to have flying cars and hoverboards and we're not too far off of that. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's true. We were just watching that episode of Grand Tour where they had a flying car on it. So <laughs> commercially available yeah. soon. Yeah. You know, the yeah. car has four wheels and it it drove itself to the airport, yep. unfolded wings and then flew <laughs> and to another off. airport <laughs> yeah. and then folded his wings back up and drove away. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah, that was that was. Yeah, so uh, when that becomes commercially viable, uh, first off, stay out of the skies because if my grandma's flying a car, <laughs> you know there's going to be hell. Yeah. So anyway, oh man, yeah. So a little bit of a shorter episode today, but uh, hopefully we can get some of those interviews scheduled, and hopefully Paul can join in on some of those because. Mm -hmm. 
we normally record on Thursdays, and he said they don't work on Fridays, mm. which means he can record at 2 o'clock in the oh, morning, which is when it'll be. I don't know about that. I mean, Paul's a trooper. That's that's yeah. a lot to ask of a human, Paul, of I, this human anyway. Not, I would be like, bye, I'm I sleeping. <laughs> I'm not asking Paul to do it, but if he can, I, I really appreciate it. So yeah. anyway, with that, if you are working on anything... Well, anything really, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. give us a call. Uh, not a call. It's not <laughs> 2004. <laughs> this yeah. is a technology podcast. What are you opening yes, the lines? Uh, are the, uh, the lines are, are the- open. <laughs> call us at 1 800 Archaeotech. Oh my God. Uh, do not do that ever. Yeah. Anyway, no, send an email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com or use the contact form on the website and uh, just let us know what you're doing. And, and, you know, if you go to the Archaeotech page on the Archaeology Podcast Network, which is just archpodnet.com forward slash Archaeotech, and that link is down in the uh, show notes. You can click on the schedule right on the right-hand side, and you can see the, the Thursdays that we record, record every other Thursday. Mm-hmm. So check on one of those. If none of those times work out, let me know. I can send you a different link, and we'll make something work. But we try to fit everything into that scheduled recording time because we're trying to plan schedules from around the world, and it gets tough. So try that. If you're especially working in something in AI or these uh, convolutional neural networks or something like that, I really want to hear about it because that's cutting-edge stuff. Yeah, for and, sure. Uh, you know, we want to see it. But again... Nothing is off the table when it comes to technology. We want to talk about all of it. And if you like the way that I gave Chris crap all through this episode and want to hear me disagree with him more, you mm-hmm. should you should start listening to the Archaeology Show podcast, which is the show that he and I do together every week. Every Sunday. Yep. All right. Well, with that, we will see you guys next week and hopefully we'll have Paul back soon. But if not, I'll probably rope Rachel into it. Yep. yep. All right. It turns out I live with this guy. So Indeed. Yep. All right. See you next week. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you consider subscribing to the Archaeotech podcast and checking out the other great episodes on that show. On the next episode of the Archaeology Show, we talk about Pompeii, ancient biblical kingdoms, and a badass female warrior. See you then. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.